0: I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 18. Listen to the words of the Lord. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, tried to persuade the Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. When they had Hearing, Paul believed and were baptized. The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. No one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. He stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. He drove them from the tribunal, and they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria. And with him, Priscilla and Aquila, uh, at Sincre, he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. They came to Ephesus. He left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up, greeted the church, and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed, went from one place to the next, through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard them, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him, and wrote the disciples to welcome him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who through the grace of God had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Christ was Jesus. This is the word of the living God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that even now, as all of us sit under the authority of your word, we pray that you would speak to us We need to hear from you, Lord, so we pray, speak to us. Speak, O Lord, your servants are listening. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. In the song, I am sold out, Hezekiah Walker and the Love Fellowship Crusade Choir sing, I am sold out, my mind is made up. And later in the song they sing, my heart is fixed. My mind's made up. No room, no vacancies. I'm all filled up. As we read chapter 18 of Acts, we could say in many ways that the theme of this text is what it looks like when God's people are sold out. What it looks like when deep down in our souls we are committed to God committed to bearing testimony about him, committed to telling people about the gospel of his son. In verse five, when Silas and Timothy show up in Corinth where Paul has been staying, we read this, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that Christ, the Christ was Jesus. Did you hear it? Paul was occupied with the word. And it's funny because for the first time in the story of Paul's life, we learn about Paul's job. We learn that Paul, on a regular basis, we learn what he did on a regular basis to make a living. We're told that when he gets to Corinth that he meets a believing couple whose names are Aquila and Priscilla. And they just happen to share the same skill, the same trade, the same job. We learn in verse 3 that because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. So we know now what Paul's job was. But I got news for you this morning, saints. Paul's job wasn't his occupation. No, his job wasn't the thing that gave his life meaning and purpose. Don't get me wrong, Paul may have loved his job. He may have enjoyed the trade of tent making. It may have brought him happiness to make a beautiful tent and stand back and see what God had enabled him to do with the work of his hands. Yet the work that occupied him, the work that gave his life meaning and purpose, the work he was willing to be persecuted for stoned for, dragged before judges for, thrown out of venues for, reduced in status for, and even one day killed for was the work of bearing witness to the matchless, mighty, and magnificent name of Jesus." Paul had a job, but his occupation was Jesus. His occupation, brothers and sisters, was telling all who would listen about the Lord, about God's kingdom that had broken into the world through Him. I just want to tell you this morning, church, that you too have jobs. You have careers through which God intends for you to bless the world, yet your occupation, the thing that is meant to give your life meaning and purpose is telling your neighbors, your friends, your co-workers, your family members, and even your enemies about Jesus. Your occupation is to be sold out for God, sold out for Jesus, sold out for the kingdom. But here's the issue we all know it. There are so many other things that cry out for our loyalty, so many other things begging to be the center of our meaning and purpose in this life. And we are tempted, if we are honest, to sell out our souls for those other things, for those other suitors. Yet God is laying before us the example of Paul, the example of Priscilla and Aquila, the example of Apollos, He is calling us, as He did them, to occupy ourselves with the name of His Son. He is calling us, as Peter reminds us in his letter in 1 Peter 2, 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. That's your occupation now, saints. That is what is meant to drive you now, to proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. And if anybody's been called out of darkness into His marvelous light, and you're thankful, you ought to say amen. The question, the question for us then is this. What does God do? What does God do when we are sold out for Him? What does God do when we are sold out to bear witness that Jesus is King? Well, the first thing He does, brothers and sisters, is He builds His church. God builds His church when we are sold out for Him. One of the reasons God calls us to be occupied with the Word To be sold out and testifying about Jesus being King and Lord is that God uses our testimony to build a church. Notice verse 5 again where we are told, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. Then notice in verse 8, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, together with his entire household and many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. Paul's, Paul's being occupied with testifying about Jesus led to the synagogue ruler and his whole household being converted. Not only this, but many of those in Corinth believed and were baptized. We say we want God to build the church, right? And He will build the church, but he does it through the day-to-day work of his people, telling those around them about the Lord. And some of us, if we are honest, are scared at times to open up our mouths and talk about Jesus. We are scared because we don't want to sound too religious, or we don't want to come across as offensive, or we don't want to lose reputation among the intelligentsia of the world. But if you want to see the church built, then you have to open up your mouth. You have to tell people, I know a name that can drive away all sorrow. I know a name that is sweeter than them all. I know a name from which comfort I may borrow. When others fail and when tears of anguish fall, I know a name, a wonderful name. And that wonderful name is Jesus. And if they're still not convinced, just tell them, I know a name that can still the raging tempest. I know a name that can calm the troubled sea. I know a name with a tender touch for healing for every heart of sin that may be troubled. And then sing the chorus again. I know a name, a wonderful name. And that wonderful name is Jesus. Listen God in His grace, mercy, and kindness, and wisdom has decided to use our testimony about His Son to build His church. He has decided, as Paul would say to these very Corinthians in his letter to them, to use the foolishness of preaching. He tells them in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 21, for since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. The church isn't going to be built through our human wisdom, but rather through faithfully telling people through our words and through our deeds that demonstrate those words that Jesus is Lord. Knowing that God will build His church as we bear testimony about His Son should, as I said, free us up to open up our mouths for Jesus. It should free us to open them up with our children, with our extended family, with our neighbors, and with those we work with. Somebody around you should know the Lord because you were willing to tell them about Him. In fact, you should ask yourself the question, who knows the Lord because I was willing to open up my mouth and tell them about Him? Can I say… That I have led anyone to Christ, that someone knows Jesus because of me, or, I have, or have I kept the Lord to myself, afraid to speak about Him publicly? I want to encourage you this morning that since God builds His church through our testimony, that you need to ask Him to show you people with whom you can share the gospel. You know, there's often talk about the church being on the decline in America, whatever the t- statistics say. I would suggest that it's not because the harvest is no longer plentiful, but perhaps it is because the laborers are few, those willing to open up their mouths to say that Jesus is King. I want to tell you this morning that God wants to use you individually, and He wants to use us corporately to be witnesses for His Son. And so, let's not sit on our testimony. Let's keep asking God to thrust us out into the harvest and enable us by the power of his spirit to open up our mouth and testify about Jesus. Amen, people of God. As we are occupied with the word, God builds his church. But as we are occupied with the world, with the word, God also watches over his church. Watches over his church. As I'm preaching through this book, I'm struck by how often the church is confronted with various forms of persecution as they bear testimony for Jesus. Have you noticed it? It's almost in every chapter, it seems like. And certainly, this has been the experience of Paul and his companions. From the time he and Barnabas set out on their first missionary journey till now, persecution has been a theme. Indeed, Paul and his companions have been opposed at almost every stop. Paul himself has been slandered, stoned almost to death. And then the narrative before us he is dragged before the court of the proconsul on the charge that he is causing people to worship God falsely. And these are just the stories that Luke records to say nothing of what his other companions may have faced. In addition to Paul's suffering, in fact, we hear of the synagogue ruler being beaten before the court when these Jews are unsuccessful in getting Paul in trouble. So persecution has followed the proclamation of the gospel at every point, even creating trouble for those who were not believers themselves, but who simply gave space for others to hear the gospel. Anybody in here been in seasons of conflict? Conflict that came because you were trying to be faithful to the gospel, trying to be faithful to the Word of God, trying to be faithful to Jesus? If so, then you know the anxiety that conflict can cause. You know the feelings of fear that conflict can cause. You know the sleepless nights that conflict can cause. You know what it feels like to wet your pillows with your tears. You know what it feels like to have that onset of a panic attack, to feel, to be filled with uncertainty about the future. Yeah, into that very reality, God speaks a word. God speaks a word and it is a word, no doubt, that the Apostle Paul needed and that you and I need. In verses 9 and 10, we read this, and the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. These very words suggests that Paul must have been wrestling with fear, fear of what was going to happen next, fear of what persecution might be on the horizon, fear of whether his ministry and mission would be successful, fear of what persecution might mean for the rest of God's people. Into this reality, God spoke as only He can. He spoke and assured Paul that he needed not to be afraid, that he had his back. And I don't know if you've ever been in trouble and had God tell you that it would be all right. If you have, then you know that when God tells you it's going to be all right, that it will be all right. I've had other people tell me it's going to be all right to hold my head up, to not be afraid. And listen, I needed those folks to tell me that. And I appreciated their words of support and comfort. After all, we are commanded by the Lord to love and encourage one another, to build each other up, to strengthen each other. But there have been some seasons where the trouble has been so overwhelming, where the weight has weighed down so heavy, where the darkness has seemed so profound that the words of neighbors couldn't help me, the words of friends couldn't help me, the words of family members couldn't help me, the words of preachers couldn't help me. There have been some seasons where I needed to hear His voice, needed to hear Him say, Tony, don't be afraid, I got you, and if you've ever had that voice, penetrate through the doubts, penetrate through the anxiety, penetrate through the fear to reach your sinking soul, then perhaps you, like me, have learned the true meaning of the words. I've seen the lightning flashing, and I've heard the thunder roll. I felt sin's breakers dashing, trying to conquer my soul. I've heard the voice of Jesus telling me still to fight on. He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone." No, never alone! No, never alone. He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. No, never alone. No, never alone. He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone." And let me tell you, when that happens, when you learn the true meaning of those words, then you can do what Paul did in verse 11. It says, and he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Yeah, when you know he's got your back, you can sit down. When you know he's got your back, you can rest. When you know he's got your back, you can stay put until God tells you to move. God not only builds his church as we are occupied with the Word, God also watches over His church as we occupy ourselves with the Word. If you're in that place, if you're in that place where you're feeling the anxiety, the fear that comes from the conflict that arises when you stand for Jesus, the call is this, it is to believe that Jesus has your back. It is to believe that when He said He would not leave you, He was not lying. You may feel alone, but believe the word of God and not simply what you feel. God is not lying to you. Hang in there for He will speak to you in the midst of your anxiety and your fear, and He will bring the comfort that only He can bring. And so the call is just that. It is to wait on Him to exercise your faith in His Word by not giving up, by not turning away from Him or from the gospel because of the conflict that it has brought into your life. And I know you feel like wanting to quit sometimes. And so did the Apostle Paul, who says in another letter to these very Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 2, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life. But then he says, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. So don't give in don't give in to fear. Instead, do what the Apostle Paul says, set your hope on God. Believe what God has said, that you don't have to be afraid because He is with you. When you're occupied with the Word, God builds His church. When you're occupied with the Word, God watches over His church. When we are occupied with the Word, lastly, brothers and sisters, God empowers his church. He builds his church. He watches over his church. He empowers his church. Paul, after spending some time in Corinth, continues on his journey. He's greeting and strengthening disciples in regions where churches have been planted. While Paul was doing this, Aquila and Priscilla, whom he had met and had even worked with for a time, had stayed in Ephesus where they had traveled together with Paul. And while in Ephesus, Aquila and Priscilla met a man named Apollos. And here's what we are told in the text about Apollos. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. Now, Aquila and Priscilla, seeing his gifting and heart for Jesus, did this. They took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Then… At the end of the chapter, we read, when he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. How did Apollos, how did Apollos get to the place where he was able to more powerfully refute the stories and narratives that were being spoken against the gospel? He got there because God placed people in his life who could help him. Even though he was competent in the Scriptures, eloquent, fervent in spirit, and understood the way of the Lord, he still needed the help of fellow believers to get to the place where he could powerfully stand up against the lies that were being told by those who opposed Jesus. And here's what I want to impress upon us today. God will give us the power we need to refute the false narratives that are being told all around us. He will place people among us who can help us better understand the Word of God so that we can powerfully proclaim that Word. There were parts of the story, listen, that Apollos needed to understand more clearly so that he could more powerfully stand up for the Gospel. And we would be foolish to think that we don't need others to better help us understand the Word of God so that we can powerfully stand up for it in our own day. Indeed, we need in our day to develop the skill of listening. We need to develop the skill of listening. Apollos, though he knew the Scriptures, did not dismiss or refuse to listen to Aquila and Priscilla. He did not in a prideful and arrogant way shut his ears to their instruction, no. He listened, and through listening, he discovered things that he had not seen or understood before in those very scriptures in which he had been declared competent. Some of y'all hear what I'm saying, some of y'all don't, some of y'all hear what I'm saying. He listened, he listened. You know why he listened? because you can't see what you can't see." I'm going to say it again. He listened because you can't see what you can't see. It often takes the eyes of others to point out things that you are missing that are often right in your face. And know-it-alls Folk who think they have no room to grow in their understanding often forfeit the power of God for the power of their own pride, which is actually no power at all, but a certain future of being humbled by God. By the way, (laughs) when I talk about listening, I intend listening in a discerning way, in the way that the Bereans did who after listening to Paul, went and searched the Scriptures to see if these things were true. I want my words to be judged by the Scriptures and not by my own merits. You know why? It is because then the power of my words, if they are true, will be from God and not from me. This is one of the ways that God empowers us. As we occupy ourselves with the Word, He provides others to aid us in our understanding of it so that we can more powerfully refute the testimony against Jesus that is all around us. I wish, I wish right now that instead of fighting about justice issues and race issues and political issues and the like, I wish we had the ability to listen. I wish those who knew the experience of being marginalized and who knew the scripture's teachings on these th- matters were listened to by their brothers and sisters rather than dismissed and rejected. I wish those who knew the experience of being abused and who knew the scripture's teaching on these matters were listened to by their brothers and sisters rather than dismissed and rejected. I wish those who knew the experience of seeing the gospel attacked and diminished by false doctrine were listened to by their brothers and sisters and not di- dismissed or reject it. Bottom line, I wish we knew how to talk about the Scriptures and how to build each other up in the Scriptures. I wish we have the ability to listen patiently to those who know God's words on matters that perhaps we do not know God's word and we're willing to listen to them. We might just find ourselves a more powerful witness for Christ in the world if we knew how to take each other aside and say, let me show you more accurately the way of the Lord. I just wish That we knew how to listen. I just wish that we could pause for a moment and listen to those who know the scriptures better than we do on issues that we know nothing about. Instead of talking, it might be good in this instance to be quiet. And listen to those who know so you can learn and so that you can then walk out into the world and more powerfully refute the testimony against Jesus. I just wish, I just wish we knew how to listen. Apollos wasn't just eloquent and competent in the scriptures. And fervent in the spirit. You know what else Apollos was? He was a listener. He let Aquila and Priscilla pull him aside and more accurately explain to him the word of God so that he could then go out and more powerfully proclaim that word to those around him. If we just had a listening church around some of these issues, we might be a more powerful church in our nation. Amen, people of God when we are occupied with the Word, God builds His church, watches over His church, and empowers His church. Brothers and sisters, let's do what Hezekiah Walker sang with the Love Fellowship Crusade Choir. Let's be sold out. Let's be sold out for the Lord Jesus. Let's be sold out to bear testimony about Him in this world. Let's let our minds be made up. Let's let our hearts be fixed. Let us say, there's no room. (laughs) There's no vacancies. I am all filled up. I am occupied. I am sold out to bear testimony about Jesus in this world. Because when we are, when we are individually and when we are corporately sold out, God builds His church. God watches over His church and God empowers this church. Amen, people of God. Let me pray for us. Father, we need you by the power of your Spirit to enable us to be occupied with your Word. We need you to make us a people who are occupied with your Word. We need you to enable us by the power of your Spirit to care most of all in this life about bearing testimony about Jesus to those around us. We need you, Lord, to cast out the fear and the doubt and the worry, and instead, Lord, replace it with a godly boldness to proclaim to those around us who Jesus is. And I pray for New City Fellowship that you would give us that boldness, that you would give us that power to declare to our family, to our coworkers, to our neighbors about Jesus Christ the King. And I pray, Lord God, that through our testimony, through our individual testimony, through our corporate testimony, Lord, you would indeed build your church. And I pray that you would watch over us and protect us from the evil one and all of his schemes. And I do pray, Lord, that you would empower us as we learn from one another how to more accurately understand, and proclaim the Word of God. Father, I pray not only for New City Fellowship, but for all your people throughout this city, throughout this nation, throughout this world. Make us, make us a people who are occupied with your Word, we pray, and ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.